So imagine if we could live on a planet where there was no hurt at all. I mean, think about that. Think of how cool it would be to live on a planet where there was no marriage hurt, no relationship hurt. If, I mean, if we could just take out the marriage hurt in the world, that right there would be like 70% of all the hurt that's created. But like, what if we could take out the, the business partnership hurt, right? There's a domain of my life that I, I talk to business leaders in, and they tell me that business partnership and staff hurt are the number one things that keep them up at night. And what if there was a way that we could, we could live on a planet where none of that hurt was there? Wouldn't that be awesome? And the answer is yes, it would be awesome, but that's not the planet that we, <laughs> we are living on this planet where there's a whole lot of hurt. And we've experienced this in our life. You've experienced this already. And so we are today in our series called How to Be Human. How not to, we are promising a lot, y'all. How not to suck at relationships. How not to be a jerk and not die alone. We are promising a lot to people today. So we're in our series, How to Be, how to be Human. And today we're talking about how to let stuff go. Now, last week, Pastor Jonathan talked a little bit about forgiveness and that's very, very important. And I'm going to be talking about some of that today. But the big thing is that we've got to figure out is how do we let stuff go? When you were a kid, much like me, our moms taught us how to apologize. But I don't think there was a class ever to teach us how to let stuff go. So I was thinking about the appropriate titles for this weekend's message. And I was thinking about, man, there's some really good titles that I think God would want me to use. So I thought about this very first one and I was like the healing power of forgiving others and yourself. I was like, that sounds like a really good title. That promises a lot. We all need to learn how to forgive. And I think that sounds good, but it quite, it didn't quite convey the message that I really wanted to convey. So then I thought about this title, the art of letting things go. And what I like about this title is there is a little bit of an art to letting things go. It's recognizing, you know, that it takes some time and some prayer and some skill. And it's, it's just not quite a science yet. But even this title didn't quite convey the message that I really wanted to send. And then I came up on this title, How Not to Go Beth Dutton on Somebody. And I was like, that is the title that I think we all need to be thinking about uh, for this particular weekend. I mean, let's just be honest. We have conflict in our relationships, right? We have conflict in our relationships. We feel it. We have different upbringings. If I could sit with you and talk with you, there's a very good chance that you and I, we may have very similar upbringings. We may have very different. We have different views on things. We have different preferences. Some of us are fan sleepers and some of us are non-fan sleepers. <gasps> how could you be a non-fan sleeper? I don't understand. Like you're, you're messing it up for the rest of us, you know? Uh, but anyway, I'm a fan sleeper if you didn't notice. But uh, yes, bigger the fan, the better. That's just the way that I roll. My wife won't let me get a big fan in our room. So I have a little bitty fan, so, but it's all right. Um, so, but we have different preferences. Things that trigger you don't trigger me. Things that trigger me don't trigger you. Things that hurt you don't hurt me. Things that hurt me don't hurt you. We're just so, so different. And the challenge is nobody taught us a class for how to let things go and forgive people. 
I don't know about you, but I, I think I got that Pythagorean theorem down in long division. But I mean, when it comes to healing relationships and letting things go, where was that class in school? It just wasn't. So a lot of us, we are ignorant if we haven't done our own research and study in scripture and, and going to you know, other, other classes and learning how to do this. If you don't show the initiative to learn how to do it, you're probably not going to learn it until you do. And so there's just a lot of that going on. My wife and I were watching a TV show recently, and the mother was screaming at her daughter for she had just gotten married, and she was screaming at her daughter because her mother taught her all the, the superficial things about marriage she thought she needed to know, but not the realities of marriage that what she would really experience. And she was just screaming at her, why didn't you prepare me better? And so I was thinking about the list of people that we're going to have to forgive in our life. It's a long and distinguished list, but I feel like I need to just remind us all of the people that we're going to have to forgive. Number one, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your employer when she doesn't recognize you, your waitress, your barista, your friends when they don't include you, the government, your husband when he doesn't pick up his clothes off the bathroom floor, Um, your, your, your wife, when she Netflix cheats on you, you guys know what that is, right? You get, you guys know, you guys know you and your wife be watching a show and, uh, you go on to bed and you, the next night y'all sit down and watch the same show and you realize, uh Oh, she's watched like two episodes ahead of you. That's Netflix cheating. That's Netflix cheating. Uh, people that you're going to have to forgive. You're going to have to forgive your children when they're ungrateful and mean to you. And I know your children would never do that, but we're just going to have to forgive our children when they're ungrateful and mean to us. You're going to have to forgive parents. Just kind of hold on, hold on to your seat. You're going to have to forgive people that hurt your children. That's a tough one. Uh, You're going to have to, uh, uh, folks, we're going to have to forgive our parents when they disregard us. Your parents know you better than anything, probably. And it's amazing how when I hear stories of people, how they'll tell me, oh, my parents just disregard me. They dismiss me. And that's, you know, sometimes moms and dads do that because they know their kid better and they just, they don't even see him anymore. They just disregard him. You're going to forgive your parents. And most importantly, most importantly, we're going to have to learn how to forgive ourselves. And I'm kind of wired. Some of you may be kind of wired like me where you've got this responsibility theme in you. And do you ever have that moment at night when you're sleeping and you remember somebody you hurt 30 years ago and you're going, oh no, like, are they still hurt? Like, do I need to make amends for that? Do I need to do something? And and sometimes we just have to go, I got to forgive me. I just got to, I got to let myself off the hook here and I got to be gracious to myself. We just have to learn how to let things go. We struggle with forgiveness for a lot of different reasons. We struggle with forgiveness because we think it's about others. Well, if I, the only reason I'm forgiving you is because of you. No, that's not right. Forgiveness is really about us. It's not about others. We struggle with forgiveness because we think it's condoning behavior. It's condoning bad behavior. If I forgive them, they're just going to do this again. Well, we don't know that. We can't control that. And that's certainly a possibility. But that's not, that's not true. Here's what I want to read to you. And this is what God put on my heart this week as I was studying for this. Forgiveness does not excuse behavior. 
Forgiveness releases the offender. When God forgives you of sin, he didn't go, oh, that's not that bad. That's not that bad. No, no, no. God forgives you, the offender, me, the offender. Forgiveness is not, we struggle with forgiveness because we think forgiveness is trusting the offender. It's not. Just because you forgive somebody doesn't mean you trust them. Trust has to be earned. If you're like me, I kind of rate people on a scale of one to 10 when I meet them. And when I first meet you, I put you about a three on the scale of trust. And the more that our relationship develops and we both kind of keep our bargain of the relationship, that trust number grows. If I start you at a three and we kind of, we kind of disappoint each other and things don't happen, we go down to two, one, when there's no trust, there's hardly any relationship left. So trust, forgiveness is not trust. Trust has to be earned in every relationship. And finally, we struggle with forgiveness because we think it's doing somebody a favor. I'm going to do you a favor. and I'm going to forgive you. I'm just going to do you a favor. I'm going to forgive you. That's, it's not a favor. Jesus commanded us to forgive if we want to be forgiven. So <clears throat> here's the definition of forgiveness. Forgiveness actually means to cancel the debt that you feel like somebody owes you. Forgiveness actually means to cancel the debt that you feel like somebody owes you. Have you ever paid off debt before? And like every month you're like, man, nine more months till we pay it off. You pay it off in that month and eight and seven and six. And you're putting all this effort, five, four, three, you know, you're paying off two, one, and then you finally pay it off. And for the last nine months, all you've been thinking is we're going to attack this debt. And then when you pay it off, it's like, I have to think differently now because I've paid off my debt. I have to reset the way that my mind thinks. And that's the way forgiveness works. When you forgive, you are essentially saying, you don't owe me anymore. It's even saying, you don't owe me an apology anymore. I am canceling the debt. And guys, to be honest, one of the, one of the most painful things that I, I'm here to tell you today is 50% of the people that you feel like have hurt you don't even know that they've hurt you. They just don't. They're not even thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves, okay? So forgiveness means cancel the debt and it resets our expectations of people. Now, <clears throat> here's what I really do think, and I, I created this next little bit of information because I feel like we struggle with what I call level three hurt, okay? This is, if you Google this, you're not going to find it because I just made this up <laughs> this week. So I believe in this. I think it's true. And uh, I'd be interested to see what you think after I get finished. So level one hurt is this. Level one hurt is disruption hurt. Disruption hurt is you go to the grocery store. You're pulling out of your parking place at the grocery store because you're finished getting your groceries. And somebody walks by unintentionally. They, they're not even paying attention. They hit your car with their, with their, with their, um, Buggy. Yes. Thank you. Buggy. I was struggling there. Buggy. Yes. They hit your car with your buggy. And we Americans, we love our cars and we spend a lot of money on our cars. Some of y'all spend a whole lot of money on your cars. And so they hit your, they hit your car with their buggy. Now you've got disruption hurt. Can you believe? And they don't even apologize. And you get home, honey, can you believe this guy? He just, bam, didn't even apologize. This woman, but she just didn't even say it's that's in for like two weeks. You're oh, oh, just every time you walk by the place on your car, you remember that person, right? But that's disruption hurt. 
Level two hurt is this. Level two hurt is disappointed hurt. It's when you wanted the promotion and you didn't get it. It's when you feel like you put the time in. It's when you put, you put the effort in. You have been on time. You have been a person of your word. You feel like you've done everything you needed to do and you did not get it and you're just disappointed. You're like, oh my gosh. I felt like that was due me. I felt like I, that was my opportunity and you're just disappointed. Level three hurt is what I feel like we struggle with the most when it comes to forgiving and letting things go. And this is just, you know, Eric talking. Level three hurt is this. It's devastating hurt. Level three hurt is when somebody who had power or control and you were vulnerable took advantage of you. That's level three hurt. They were in a position of power and control and you were vulnerable and they took advantage of you. And that's devastating hurt. This is the kind of hurt that people are in counseling for for years. This stuff people can kind of get over. This is the kind of stuff people are trying to work out. This is the stuff we take into our marriages this is the stuff we pass on to our children if we're not careful. This is the stuff if we don't do the hard work, the hard inner work that we need to do, this stuff wrecks our relationships in our life. We have to learn how to deal with devastating hurt. Now, <clears throat> here's what I know about bitterness. If we let this devastating hurt fester and we don't deal with it, we don't talk about it, we don't sit with somebody who can help us with it, it turns into bitterness. And we all know that bitterness is like body odor and we can smell it on each other. You just can. When, if, if you're around me and I'm bitter, you know. If I'm around you and you're bitter, I know. It comes out in how you talk. It comes out in your emails. It comes out in your texts. It comes out on Facebook. It comes out on Instagram. It comes out on how you talk to your children. It comes out how you speak to your spouse. You can't hide it. it. We all know, just like body odor, oh my gosh, that person's bitter. What? Oh, you gotta, you gotta go into their office today? Oh my gosh. You know, that's what we say. So we've gotta deal with this. Now, what would God say? If God could tell us anything to deal with this, what would he say to help us figure out how to forgive and how to let things go? So. Here we go. So the Apostle Paul um, was a missionary all around the Mediterranean Rim. He went on multiple trips, three, four, maybe even five trips. And he spent three years in Ephesus and uh, he uh, got put in jail uh, for his um, allegiance to Christ because he was preaching Christ all around uh, the Mediterranean Rim, the Roman Empire. And so he is now in jail. It's AD 60. It's 27 years after Jesus has risen from the dead, gone on to heaven. And so he is writing back to the Ephesian church that he spent three years in. And Timothy came in and preached after him. And this is what he says. He says, therefore, I, a prisoner uh, for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. I want to stop right here just for a second. He says, I want you to lead a life worthy of your calling. What are you saying, Paul? Unfortunately, a lot of people are not going to lead a life worthy of their calling. They're going to live way below their calling. 
And if you're a Christ follower, you have a personal calling on your life. If you're ever trying to figure out what God's will is for you, I'm going to break it down for you right now. I'm going to tell you what God's will is for your life and my life. Jesus said at the Sermon on the Mount, you are to be salt and light. You're to make the world better and brighter. That's your purpose. That's your purpose. You are to make the world better and brighter. Now, what job you do, where you work, where your paycheck comes from, hey, God gives us freedom in a lot of that stuff. But in terms of your calling and your purpose, it is being salt and light. Make the world better, brighter. That's the point of your life. That's the calling. So God is saying this. He's saying, listen, I want you to go from the basement and I want you to hop on the elevator and I want you to go up to the balcony and I want you to live at this level. I want you to get out of these, this basement thinking about your life. And I want you to recognize I've put a call on your life. And that call is to be salt and light. That call is to make the world better and brighter. And you can't do that if you're bitter. So God's personal call on your life is to get out of the basement and get up to the balcony and live differently. Y'all, this truth changed my life 32 years ago. It gave me some direction to live in such a way that I could understand. And I began to realize, God, I want to live a different kind of life. I see, I see all the other options that I could choose and I've tried those. This is a better kind of life. So Paul says, lead a life worthy of your calling. And this is what it demands. Our calling requires self-leadership. It requires self-leadership. The hardest person for you to lead is you. The hardest person for me to lead is me because I know me and I can lie to me. Like, just like you can lie to yourself. Oh, it, it, it'll just be this once. Oh, it'll just be okay. It, it, it's never okay. It's never just once. We fool ourselves all the time. So our calling requires self-leadership. And here's how it requires self-leadership. Paul goes on to read this or to write this. He says, here's how I want you to lead yourself. Get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil, evil behavior. When you're bitter, you can't make the world brighter or better. Get this rage, this anger that you feel, these harsh words that you're using, being cruel, saying things that aren't true about other people, as well as all types of evil behavior. That's not how I want you to live. As a matter of fact, the more angry that you get and you let this bitterness kind of fester in your life, there's this principle that I love to talk about that I learned from some friends of mine recently is that when people get historical, things get hysterical. And I know y'all have never gotten historical in a fight before with somebody that you love. Y'all have never done this before. I know you haven't. If you're watching online or in Oak Ridge, y'all have never done this either. I know you never, y'all are wonderful, wonderful people, but I've done this before. Oh, you remember that time, right? Oh, and then it just goes so well. Uh, after you say that, right? When people get historical, things get hysterical. And listen, if we're reacting in life, angry, harsh words, slander, tearing people down, listen, you're reacting instead of responding to life. When we are living that way, we are reacting instead of responding to life. And there's a difference. God says, I want you to learn how to respond to life and not react emotionally. Don't let yourself get triggered that way. Don't play that game. Get out of the basement. 
get up on the balcony, see your perspective differently. It changes how we live. So when people get historical, things get hysterical. Then Paul says this. He says, instead, instead, guys, I want you to be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. When I first read this, I went, Paul, that's kind of weak, right? Just, that's just soft. I mean, that's just, that's really what it is. Like, just, that just feels soft to me and doesn't feel like, uh, you know, the way that, and then I tried it. Then I tried, I tried doing this and I went, oh man, this is a lot harder than I thought. He says, be kind to each other, be tenderhearted. You, you know what this means? Be gentle in your relationships, be compassionate in your relationship. Everybody's struggling with something, no matter how good we look on the outside. We are all struggling with something. Somebody wise told me one day, we're all three questions away from tears. We're all struggling with something. So let's be gentle. Let's be compassionate. And let's learn how to cancel the debt that people owe us. And this is so hard to do, but God has given us his power to do it. That's the beautiful thing. And because this is so hard to do, this is the harsh reality that I think is really what we're talking about. Most people will choose just to believe in and not follow Jesus. Because this is a harder way of living, because you're going from the basement to the balcony, because you're wanting to live a life worthy of the calling that God has placed on your life, not a calling to go in full-time ministry, a calling to be a Christ follower in the world that God has put you in a calling to be salt and light, to make the world better and brighter, that calling. Because it's hard, because it's tough, this is why most people will simply choose to believe in and not follow Jesus. Which leads me to my big idea. And this changed me, y'all, 32 years ago. This changed my life so drastically, and it'll change yours too. And this is it. Let your calling guide you instead of unforgiveness controlling you. Let your calling guide you instead of unforgiveness controlling you. Eric, what do you mean by calling? Let your calling guide your emotions. When you feel like you are losing your mind, you are so angry. They have done it again. They have said it again. They won't stop. They, it is a, it's a, like a revolving... It's ha- how can my calling guide my emotions right now? How can my calling guide my decisions? Where's my basement thinking? How do I shift to balcony thinking? How do I shift because I'm recognizing God's call on my life is too important for me to be waddling around here in the basement. I've got a better life to live. I've got better choices that I can make instead of wallowing around in unforgiveness and letting that control me because it will control you. So I want to give you some ways that this has helped me. Some of you have been deeply hurt in life, and I want you to write these notes down that I'm getting ready to tell you so you can coach yourself how to forgive in that moment. Some of you, you haven't been hurt very deeply in life. You think you have, but just wait, it's coming. And you're not going to need this right now, 
but you're going to need this in five years. You're going to need this in 10 years. You're going to need this in 20 years. So write this down somewhere where you can come back to it on your phone or no, whatever. But here we go. How can I coach myself to forgive if I'm in a situation where I've got to let something go? Okay, here we go. Number one, you need to ask for forgiveness, okay? You need to ask for forgiveness because you can't give what you don't have. You can't give somebody forgiveness if you never experienced it yourself. So you need to ask God for forgiveness, not just in life, but ask God for forgiveness of the situation that you find yourself in and your part in that. So number one, ask God for forgiveness. God, what is it? What have I done? What's my part in this problem that I've created in this relationship? And forgive me and help me to have a clear mind to think through and how to move through this situation. So first of all, ask God for forgiveness. Second of all, practice pre-forgiveness, okay? Practice pre-forgiveness. Just know that people are broken. I remember being at a counselor's office one time 10 years ago, and I couldn't understand why I was having trouble in this, in this relationship that I had. And he said, Eric, people are broken. And I remember for the first time, I was like, oh yeah, that's right. People are broken. Expect people to be broken. Expect people to hurt you. You just have to. They're not perfect. And honestly, most of the time, they're not even thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves. So just practice pre-forgiveness. Long-term relationships require short-term accounts. So practice pre-forgiveness. Third, forgiveness is about you. Reconciliation is about two. That's a difference. Forgiveness is about you. Reconciliation is about two. So here's what I want you to do. If there's somebody that you're having a hard time letting off the hook and you're really frustrated at, one day after work, come home, park in your driveway, sit there and act like Joe, the guy who hurt you or a girl is sitting in the car, is sitting in the car with you and they're, the, they're in the seat next to you and say, Joe, here's all the things you did to me. Here's all the ways that you hurt me. Here's the way you made me feel and here's why it made me so upset and I can't believe you did that. Why did you, I thought we knew each other. Why? And just get it all out. And then at the end, I want you to tell Joe, but Joe, I'm letting you go. I'm letting you go. Forgiveness is about you. Next, I want you to manage your memory. You've got to manage your memory. Your brain is wired to every time you get hurt, you remember who hurt you because your brain's wired to protect you. So if you get around that person who hurt you, your brain's gonna start firing off. They hurt you, they hurt you. Better be careful, they hurt you. That's just the way that you have been wired by God. You have to remind your brain, brain, settle down. I know you're wanting to protect me, but I've forgiven them. And the other thing you're going to do is remind your friends that you've all told that you hated somebody. Remind them that you've forgiven them because they're gonna tell you, I thought you didn't like that person. I thought we didn't include that person. I thought you, yeah, Tell your friends you've forgiven them and just make, you know, make it all better. Next, are you waiting on an apology? Are you waiting on an apology? Be careful because what has your head has you. And if you're waiting on an apology to heal, you're essentially saying, I can't heal until you apologize to me and you're giving your power away. Don't do that. When I was 25, I got invited to leave my church job. You ever been invited to leave your job before? 
Uh, it's not like being invited to a party. I'm just, I'm just going to say that. Uh, my, my wife and I had just been married and uh, we had been married just, uh, I think about three years and we just had Hudson, our first baby. And it was such a toxic church environment. If you can imagine, a, it was such a toxic environment. All the firsts that you experience as a family, ours was like a wedding cake that somebody ran over with in their back tire. It was like, we're gonna take everything that's important to you right now in this young marriage and we're just gonna drive right over because we don't care about you. And they sent the very powerful message they didn't. And I wasn't a very good leader at 25. There's just so much you don't know and trying to figure life out. But so many of those things for us just got trampled upon. Hudson's first birthday, I couldn't be there because I had to be at a meeting. When we brought Hudson home from the hospital, first day I couldn't be there because I had to be at a meeting. There were so many important things about our family that I missed that it just made me angry because I can't get those things back. You ever felt that way? And then when they finally said, uh, Eric, we're going to invite you to leave, that was the final nail in the coffin. And my wife and I just, yeah, we just walked away humiliated, just beat down. It was like somebody just took their fist and punched me in the gut, both of us, and we were rolling around on the ground and we can't breathe. And we were trying to catch our breath. And so at that time I was pursuing my master's degree, which was in the Raleigh area. And so the only thing we knew to do, and I was living in the Concord time at this big church down there. And the only thing we knew to do was to move our family up to Raleigh to where I was going to school. But all of our friends were at this church. Everybody that we had come close to was at this church we had finally bought this house that we had loved. It was our first house we'd ever bought and Cresha had decorated it and it was everything that she wanted it to be. And we didn't have two pennies to rub together, but it was, we loved it. And our son was born. That's where we brought him home from the hospital. It was just, it was everything that we knew that we had at the time. And we had to sell it all. You ever feel like you got displaced from your life and it wasn't your fault? the way we felt. And so we moved up to Raleigh in this, oh, this awful apartment complex. It was horrible. It was old. We knew exactly where the people were above us in the apartments. And I remember moving in and I remember just being so frustrated, but Cretia was so much more, there was more going on with her than I could tell. And here we are with our new baby and we don't know anybody. We don't have a church. We don't have one friend in this city. We're still, we're still trying to catch our breath. We're still trying to figure out what happened. And I remember one day we were talking and I signed us up to go to this conference called Walk Through the Bible. I didn't know what it was. And she and I were like, look, we just need some time to just be together and just process what happened. We just spent four years feeling like we got the crap beat out of us. And if this is ministry, I don't want that. That's not the life I want. 
And I remember going to this chapel service and we were sitting there and she was so frustrated. And so my mind is starting to go toward fixing our situation and I'm gonna need to find a job and I'm gonna need to figure out how to provide for my family. And so I am already mentally moving on. I don't know that I told her that, but that's what was happening with me. But I remember us sitting in this chapel and I remember all of this anger and frustration she was feeling. I could see it and it was palpable in our marriage and our friendship. And Steve stood up at this conference. I, I really didn't know what we were getting into, but I just thought it'd be just something to go to, to take our mind off our pain. And Steve stood up at this conference and he said, guys, I want to tell you about the story of Joseph in the Bible. He said, what you may not know about Joseph is that Joseph had like nine or 10 brothers, whatever, I forget. But these brothers, you know what they did one day? They threw him in a pit so that he would die. Imagine your brothers throwing you in a pit so that you die. That's pretty rough. And he didn't die when they threw him in the pit. And then they found these people who were coming along and and they were going to a different land. And they said, well, let's just sell Joseph to these people. We'll never see him again and we'll profit off of his life. It sounds good. So they did that, sold him. And then Joseph and, and, and only events that God can explain ended up being the vice president. He went from the prison to the palace in less than 24 hours. He became the vice president in Egypt, which was the country, the the strongest country at that time in the world. And And a famine hit all the land. And Joseph was responsible. He interpreted Pharaoh's dream and he said, a famine's coming to this land and we better get ready. So he put Joseph in charge of the food distribution plan. So Joseph became the vice president in Egypt and he was in charge of the distribution. Well, all of a sudden, this family showed up from the land of Israel that Joseph happened to know. And what do you know? It was all of his brothers who sold him into slavery, sold him to die. And they don't recognize it's Joseph, but Joseph recognizes them. And he, in his mind, he is thinking to himself, is this my time to get even? Is this my time to pay back? Oh, payback is a, you know what? Is this time? Is this the time? And Joseph calmed down. And this is what he told his brothers when they eventually found out who he was. He said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And when he told that story, all of a sudden I was looking over at Cresha and I could just see her tears coming down her face. And it was like 500 pounds had been pulled off both of our shoulders to recognize some of the most hurtful things that you're going to experience in life are not because of of the fact that there is something that God wants you to experience that you can get no other way. You know what that toxic environment taught me? It taught me to appreciate the good. See, if you've never had toxic, you can't appreciate the good. You better thank God for the toxic times because you know what's bad, you know what's good. If you don't know what's bad and good, you're probably gonna find out at some point in your life. See, the toxic times make you grateful 
that you don't take advantage of the good times and take it for granted. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. I'm gonna ask Anthony to lead us in this song that really drives this point home. you're probably waiting for somebody to apologize to you or you will be one day if it hasn't happened. There's probably somebody right now that's waiting on an apology from you. Why don't you go? You can control that. Be the bigger person. Go make things right. This is how to be human. I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for my friends that are in this room, that are in Oak Ridge, that are watching online. And just thank you, God, for this challenge that you've given us to live according to the calling that you've placed on our life and not getting lost in just the bitterness and control of unforgiveness. Help us, Father, to take those steps that we know to take as we trust you, as we are afraid, we are scared, We are nervous, we are hurt, we're beat up, banged up, not sure what to think, but God, in those moments, be our confidence, be our hope. As we step out in trust and faith, maybe watch you work in our life. And we love you in Jesus' name, amen. Y'all, thank you so much for being here today. And we look forward to seeing you next weekend for week three, How to Be Human. Y'all have a great week.